are today, but wanted to give that reference. Today, we begin our 2022 World Missions Conference with the theme, Apologetics and Missions. What does that mean? Well, it means a believer and the corporate church are to present a defense of the faith from the word of God. In fact, Jude 3 is the conference thematic verse. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, and that's what I'm doing today, exhorting us, that we should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The grammar of the New Testament, Greek New Testament, is the faith. There's a definite article there, meaning scripture. We're to earnestly contend for the truth of the word of God and specifically relative to missions for the gospel. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 17, we're going to study verses 16 through 34, but just before that text, it says in verses 1 through 3, now when they had passed through Amphipolis, that is Paul and, and the group, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, which was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, notice, as his custom was, went in unto them, went, went into the synagogue, went into a religious place. And three days, three Sabbath days, that is three weeks, reasoned with them, dialogued with them, notice, out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and rise again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. He went in where the religious folks were into their environment, not becoming one of them, but so that he could have access to them and he opened the word of God and preached the truth of the gospel. If you'll notice also in Acts 17, before we get to our text, in verses 10 and 11, it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming there, went into the synagogue of the Jews. So they went into the world. They didn't go into a comfortable situation. They didn't go and be just with the brethren, but they went into the religious uh, meeting place of the day. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. And so the Apostle Paul was apologetics in mission personified. We see that in Acts chapter 17, and it brings us to our text today in 17 of the book of Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. Now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him, and when he, had, when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, and with the devout persons, and in the marketplace daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? Others, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection." And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, that is a place set apart for, for giving, the spe- giving of speeches, saying, May we know what this new doctrine of which thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things, strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers who were there spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, 
and said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God who made the world and all, and now he starts his apologetics. He starts giving a defense of the faith of the gospel. God who made the world and all things in it, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. There's a, 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 a proof text right there against racism, by the way. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. In other words, God has determined where folks will live. That they should seek the Lord, if perhaps they might find after him, and uh, uh, might feel after him and find him, though he is not very far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his, his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like gold or silver or stone, carved by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God overlooked. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, concerning which he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Nevertheless, certain men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Our text has Paul in Athens, Greece, on his second missionary journey. And in that time, arguably, the three most important cities uh, in Paul's travels for the gospel witness, uh, apologetics in missions, was Jerusalem, the religious capital of the world, Rome, the political capital of the world, and right here, Athens, the philosophical, the intellectual capital of the world. And I want us to see from the Word of God, from this text, how apologetics in missions actually took place right before our eyes, right in this historical narrative in the book of Acts. The first point of the historical uh, narrative and the apologetics in missions is that Scripture reveals the nature of man. We see that in verses 16 through 23. This passage tells us that everyone is going to worship something or someone. Now that might be himself, it might be humanism, that is man is going to ascend, uh, we're going to reach lofty heights where we'll be able to figure out, figure out everything, including uh, uh, set the course for eternity. It very well may be the worship of man, but everyone has allegiance, pays allegiance to someone or something. Man is a religious being, and we see that in this text. In Athens, full of shrines to the gods, uh, a sculpture of a deity could be found anywhere, and folks, not much has changed at all in our day. Um, in Italy, uh, this past uh, couple of weeks, uh, Kathy and I spent uh, four days in Rome. Then we went on a Mediterranean cruise um, uh, in various cities in, in that area, the Mediterranean, and then came back and spent another three days in Rome. And we encountered every single day, if not multiple times a day, literally sculptures and shrines and idols uh, and artifacts where 
people would pay homage and allegiance. Uh, and notice uh, in, this, in this text, in verse 16, uh, Paul's response was not indignation primarily. Oh, he must have had a, a measure of that. I had a measure of that when, uh, when I was experiencing this. But it was primarily grief. Notice in verse 16, when Paul was at Athens, his spirit was stirred when he saw. It was grieved. He was heavy-hearted because he saw all the lostness in that city. Not much has changed. But the difference is now in our day, in the 21st century in this world, so many places there is as much idolatry going on, but, but it's under the auspices, under the name of Christianity, and especially in Rome. You couldn't swing a dead cat and not hit some kind of Mariolatry that was going on. The, uh, the exaltation of Mary and the prayer going out to, uh, to Mary, uh, the so-called mother of God. It was truly uh, disheartening uh, the amount that, uh, that uh, we experienced. In fact, we were in one cathedral, one basilica, and uh, there was a, a, a framed uh, glass uh, chest um, little box kind of a thing, and it had the so-called, the relics, uh, the remains uh, of St. Lucy, a, uh, a well-known uh, woman uh, from centuries ago uh, who arguably did many, many great things, and in fact may herself have even been a follower of the Lord, as Mary was, but would shriek if given the opportunity uh, that now that uh, people come and, and pray at the altar of a case with her bones. Her bones are in, and you can see her bones and people venerate it. And I'm thinking, this is just a modern day, a, a, a modern day 21st century idolatry. And what they had 2,000 years ago, very much the same thing. At the same time, while there, Kathy and I were blessed and privileged to meet up with our missionaries, Brian and Jenny Evans who are sharing the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, uh, that it's by faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, by, uh, according to the word of God alone, we were able to uh, attend church with them. And they translated uh, the manuscript of the pastor's uh, sermon. And, and by the way, uh, Nichols, uh, the pastor and his wife were Brazilian, born and raised in Brazil. God saved them in Brazil, called them into missions, and now they're in Rome, Brazilians, as foreign missionaries to Rome, uh, and they planted this church. And I'm telling you, this young guy uh, brought a message from Joshua chapter 1 on this, uh, Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua, I'm not sure, chapter, chapter 7, I think, uh, the sin of, uh, of Achan and the city of Ai. And he handled that, uh, that historical narrative just with perfection, and he, made, uh, he brought out uh, the theological truths in it and made application. And I'm thinking, man, I hope he comes to America. We want him to preach here one day. Uh, young guy and ha did an expert job. And so there is gospel light. There is biblical truth uh, going out to the nations and how God is using our missionaries in that. But the first point of apologetics is that lost man needs to know that he is in fact lost. And you do so by dialoguing with them. Uh, the word disputed in verse 17, really not the best translation. It's the word for dialogue. It wasn't a hostile attack the Apostle Paul brought, but it was a let's share uh, where we are. And of course, he was doing it from the frame of reference, the gospel, the truth of Scripture. Uh, 
And so we must do the same. Uh, there's idolatry everywhere. There's unbelief everywhere. Folks, this world needs a defense of the faith, and we're the ones to deliver it. It means that we must know the Word of God in order to communicate the Word of God. Amen? So, Scripture reveals the nature of man, verses 16 through 23. Secondly, Scripture reveals the nature of God, verses 24 through 26, and the first part of verse 30 A lost person must know who God is before he can truly surrender to his lordship. And this passage tells us that God is eternal, verse 24. Uh, That God is personal, verses 25 and 26. And that God is merciful, verse, the first part of verse 30. He has been patient with mankind for judgment could have already come upon the whole world. The whole world could already be swallowed up in hell. But God's long-suffering, his merciful nature has still extended a period of time, a measure of time, of which we're a part to communicate the gospel message to a lost and dying world. Now, what Paul did at Athens on his second missionary journey, he continued to do throughout his ministry. And it certainly would have been included when he was in and on the, just after uh, the violent storm at the end of the book of Acts, and he was on the island of Sicily, just off the southwest corner of Italy, where Kathy and I were for uh, a day. And it says in Acts 28, um, and after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, that is, it was an Egyptian ship, uh, Meret, an Egyptian ship the Apostle Paul got in, which had wintered in the island, whose sign was Castor and Pollux, that is, it must have been from that shipping company or, or that village or something along that line, and landing at Syracuse, and the Italians call it Syracusa today, but it's the very same place, we tarried there three days. So that's all it tells us, is that Paul was at Syracuse for three days. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium, that is on a strait that goes in between Sicily and the mainland of Italy. And after one day, the south wind blew and we came the next day uh, to Putili, that's very close to Rome, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. So we stayed there a week and so we went toward Rome. And so he landed with his entourage in Syracuse, a city in Sicily, just off the southwest corner of Italy. In fact, I'll show you, it, it, it was right here, and uh, Sicily is, where's my, oh, there it is. Sicily, uh, uh, here's Sicily, but, and Syracuse is about right there. And the strait that they went on is right through there. It's just a little tiny narrow passageway. In fact, our cruise ship uh, had to be uh, led by, by a guide ship so that you would, the ship would not go too far to the left or to the right, uh, right and run aground and then block the entire uh, passageway. You all follow what I'm talking about? It's that narrow. You, can, you can't even hardly see it. But there's actually a, a passageway there. And Regium is about right there. And then Putili is up along here getting close to Rome. Well, anyway, Kathy and I landed at Syracuse. We ported there uh, and we went immediately to the temple, the location of where the temple of the goddess Athena 
was constructed in the 500s BC, so 530, 550, 570 BC, we were right there in that very location. And now uh, uh, it's a Catholic church. Uh, It became a Catholic church uh, many centuries ago, and here it is right there. Uh, And Kathy just has a habit of taking pictures with young, uh, handsome guys in in the photo, but I've talked to her about this, but um, I, I wasn't able to crop that out. So this is the, what is now the Catholic Basilica uh, that is on that location, and it is built on top of the ruins, which are, these, this is the original foundation, and this is known. I mean, all the, I mean, the city's been a, a thriving city for uh, two and a half millennia. And so these are the original stone foundations from 25 to 2600 years ago. And here are the original uh, columns. The columns, uh, this is the extra, they, uh, the, they left the columns in place throughout time. These are 2500 years old. This is the, uh, the temple to Athena in Syracuse, Sicily, Italy. And here are the external columns. And they built the wall. And here's the inside. And you can see me, I'm standing up, and, you know, I'm like one-fifth or one-sixth the height of that. So these are probably 30 to 40 feet, not probably, they are 30 to 40 feet high, and, and there's, there's numerous of them. They're, they go all the way around the perimeter. And so you have the foundation, you have these pillars, and then built uh, around in some way or shape or form uh, was the temple. Well, it's now 500 years later, and Paul lands in Syracuse, and he was there three times. Now... In Syracuse, in the first century A.D., how many giant tall structures were there in that city? This one. This is the only one. And where did Paul always go when he landed somewhere to share the gospel? He went to the pagan temple. He went to the synagogue. He went to the gathering place of lost people. And so... I've been to Jacob's Well in Israel, and I'm very confident that it's actually the original Jacob's Well. I've been to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and I am convinced that it actually is where Jesus was crucified. I've been to the empty tomb, and a number of you all have as well, and I am as sure as I can be that that's actually the place where Jesus was placed and from which, uh, whence he resurrected. But of all of those things, and I'm very confident, I am 100% certain that Kathy and I were actually at the location where the Apostle Paul landed in Syracuse and for three days he presented the gospel of the grace of God in Christ to a city of pagans. We were actually there and it is now as much as much idolatry as went on then in the name of the unknown God is going on now in the so-called Christian realm, um, but it is, it is just as much uh, uh, false theology as, as, as it was in that day, because if it's not the pure gospel of the grace of God in Christ and Christ alone, and that he is the mediator between God and man, then it's wrong and it's erroneous, amen? And so we support and send out missionaries to preach the pure grace of God in Christ and turn to him in faith and present the truth of the gospel to a lost and dying world. I'll tell you, though, I'm not, I'm not given to mysticism, and, and I'm certainly not uh, uh, mystical in that sense at all, but, and I'm not easily starstruck, 
but to be in the very building where absolutely Paul, that building had been there for 500 years, to be in the place where Paul preached the gospel two millennia ago for a 21st century spit and spew and Baptist preacher, that's pretty heady stuff. And so <laughs> I don't mind, it, mind telling you uh, that uh, it, was a, it was a great time uh, that we had. Thirdly, we see in verses 27 to 29, Scripture reveals the responsibility of man. It tells us right there that man has a responsibility and God has called man um, uh, to understand this, to, to know the truth, and, and to accept and to believe. And yet, <clears throat> why don't they? Well, Romans 1.25 says, Mankind, lost mankind, has exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Again, everyone's going to worship something or someone, and it takes the spark of God's grace penetrating the, the, uh, the dead spirit of that lost person and waking him or her up to the reality of the gospel. It's what happened to the Apostle Paul, and, and that's what he communicated to a lost and dying world. Scripture reveals the responsibility of man. Man is accountable to God. And why would, why would they opt for darkness rather than light? Why would they opt for error rather than truth? Well, Jesus spoke to it in John 3.19 that condemnation has come uh, because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I want to continue in my sin. And if I acknowledge that God is and that I'm accountable to him, now I can no longer go down that path. The word of the gospel only has the power of God to save. Uh, so we are to preach Christ, him crucified and resurrected and coming again. Fourthly, we see in verse 30 and 31, Scripture, again, it's apologetics. It's giving an answer. It reveals the requirement from God. And what is that requirement? Repent, believe, turn from your own way and turn in faith to the Lord Jesus. And finally in this text, in verses 32 to 34, Scripture tells us about the response of man. And typically, it's going to be one of three responses. Verse 32, some of them rejected the word. Notice it says, and when they heard of this, they mocked. And some of them reflected on the word. We'll hear you again on this matter. But some of them, folks, bless God, believed and, and received the word, verses 33 and 34. And you did when it was presented to you at one point. Amen? And, and Brother Joel, uh, as we're sharing with children and teenagers through Awana, there are those who are believing. And so, it's, and, and, and by the way, it's the, it's the responsibility of God to change the heart. Amen? It's our responsibility to communicate the message, to broadcast the seed, but he must, he must be the one who brings life into that heart. And so we are called to be apologists, to share the message of the gospel with a lost and dying world. Well, what is that message? What is the message of the gospel? It's that Christ came and that he uh, was offered as a sacrifice for the sins of all of those who will believe. And this is what the Lord's table is. Our deacons are coming right now because we're going to observe the Lord's table as a reminder of what he has done. Uh, I know that was a strong, quick segue, but that's what we've been talking about all day is the gospel, what Christ has done. And 
the bread that we're going to receive represents his body. The juice that we're going to receive represents his blood. Of course, it isn't his body. It isn't his blood. That would be uh, blasphemous and, and, um, and a horrific uh, way uh, to handle this memorial. Uh, but it's, it's done in remembrance of what he has done. And so, if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you're invited to participate in receiving the Lord's table, in receiving the bread, in receiving the juice, in remembering what he has done in his offering on the cross. Parents, you'll want to oversee the distribution of the elements to your children. Um, but let's uh, just now, in this sober moment, uh, reflect on what he has done. Lord, I'm so thankful for uh, this time from Acts chapter 17 and other places, how that you used your servants, your people, to give an answer for the faith, to explain what the gospel is. And Lord, you allowed me um, in the last couple of weeks to come into a fresh experience with that, just knowing that 2,000 years ago and over the centuries, there, there has been gospel truth right there presented in Syracuse. There was in Athens, and there were those who believed. May we be used of you in our day, in the 21st century, to communicate gospel truth to a lost and dying world. May we reflect on your offering for us, your sacrifice, and our obligation in love to serve you, to follow you all 